3: Hi this is Megan from Pennsylvania. Um, This week I watched Smiley Face Killers which was supposedly based on actual events of a serial killer Um, and I just wanted to know if you guys had any favorite horror movies that are based on actual events and um, if you had any other recommendations for those type of movies and also um, in your opinions what you think makes those kind of movies work or not work. Um I did not feel smiley face killers really worked because they focused on the boring victim and they should have focused more on the strange, weird and creepy serial killers. So that was my question for the week. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for calling in again, Megan. Um I am not a super like I'm not really a big True crime guy. So generally speaking, if I do come across horror movies that are based on true crimes, it's more like coincidence than anything. So for me, my default just ends up being things like like probably like psycho, like something like based off Ed Gein. I mean, you could argue Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but the way I understand it, Toby Hooper has come out and even said that only some of the furniture was based off the idea of Ed Gein like making furniture out of human body parts like mm-hmm. none of the other stuff was actually Ed because I don't believe that they ever proved that he was a cannibal. Um, so yeah, like I don't have anything. That's the first thing that came to my mind was Psycho. I love Psycho. And I didn't dislike the remake, honestly. I thought it was a weird choice Yeah, for Gus Van Zandt coming off of uh, the popularity of Goodwill Hunting. They said, okay, you could do anything. What do you want to do? I want to do a shot-for-shot colorized remake of Psycho. What now? Yeah, <laughs> like okay, good for you. Like you got to do what you wanted to do. I hope he's happy with it. I remember seeing the theaters. I think it was like Homecoming or something. I'm, I'm and I'm dating myself, so I'm gonna move around the table, Megan. You know what are you, what are your recommendations?
4: I really like the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, oh, that is a yeah. good one. Yeah. yeah, loosely based on the story of Annalise Michelle. So. Um, The other one that I had was a polar opposite end of the spectrum, which was Hounds of Love, which was inspired by, you know, 1986 Catherine and David Burney, who did some horrendous crimes in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I picked those two not only because I love them, but because they're so polar opposite. You have one that's supernatural and then you have one that's very authentic and realistic. And um, to answer Megan's question, I don't really think that it matters so much as long as they're focusing on the movie. Like I'm I'm not looking mm-hmm. for authenticity, you know, in in the movies because you can read up about these true crime stories and I'm sure there's lots of true crime stuff dedicated to it, but first and foremost, make a good movie and if it happens to be loosely or closely inspired, I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of like a peripheral icing on the cake.
1: Yeah. Um, the the movie that came to mind for me is the Stepfather from nineteen eighty seven. Oh, nice. Like I, yeah, I really like the series. I know the second and third one is just ridiculous. Um, but it's fun. But yeah, this is loosely based on the life of life of the mass murderer John List. And um, even though it didn't go like the that true story route, it went right. more like with a slasher route. I liked it, you know. But kind of like John, I don't really watch a lot of intentionally watch a lot of films that's based off of true stories
0: yeah more than anything it's kind of like oh that was based on a true story yeah and i don't know maybe you two have different feelings about this i i got a little burnt out on the whole inspired by true events wave that we really saw like five ten years ago like like the strangers yeah based Mm -hmm. on true events like well, someone died inside their house and now you made an entire movie like uh, you're really yeah. stretching that one. And I know that that was a really big marketing uh, uh, approach for a, or for quite a while. And I, and mm-hmm. even now, yeah, people like doing that. But for me.
4: I take it with a great assault like you. It's like you see yeah, it and you're just like, meh.
0: It almost attracts for me. Like because I've seen those that were so loosely based,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like I almost look at it like. Okay, well, what part? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, well, right. What are you talking about? Clearly, you don't know what people said, and it's best guess on or best guess on reenacting what happened. The so, part yeah, where I there was know. a
4: house—that's the accurate part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Isn't exactly. A scream, loosely based on true events. I'm sure lots of things are loosely based on true yeah. events. I mean, that's... or like
0: or Amityville. Yeah, yeah. Amityville, you know, like open water. You know. Yeah, or any, I guess any of the Conjuring, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. true events. <laughs> Annabelle, yeah. stuff like that. Um, if you would call those, like, true crime or just true events.
4: Um, life inspires art, the end.
0: Exactly. <laughs> All right, call two. Hey, y'all, it's Stefan again, calling from St. Paul. Uh, I'm just wondering, Some. I hope you make this uh, horror announcement on the next episode, the Wrong Turn reboot. It's a... Uh, uh, my most anticipated movie uh, coming out next month. And Wrong Turn is one of my favorite horror movies of the 2000s. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Bye. And another return caller. Thanks and love from St. Paul, which I always appreciate. Uh, The Wrong Turn series. I've only seen the first Wrong Turn movie. And I believe that I saw it in the theaters. And I was... I was definitely more surprised with, uh, and I would have to rewatch it because maybe I'm totally misremembering that it was a lot more brutal than I thought it would. Like taking the redneck family vibe and it went just way more like with the barbed wire and the arrows and like in the trees and all that stuff. Like it was way more like visceral than I thought it would be. It ended up being more like the remake of uh, Hills Have Eyes Hmm. to me, um, Which I'm fine with. Like, I thought they did a good job. It kind of surprised me. I'm like, wow, this is a pretty unsettling movie. And and the characters were pretty cookie cutter, but they were fine. Um, I never saw any of the next three or four or five movies that they made. So doing a reboot actually after that many movies is kind of interesting to me Mm -hmm. until I think about, like, well, Friday the 13th did it. Yeah. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street tried to do it. (laughs) Halloween, things like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just another in the line of, all right, we've got this long-running series. Let's make another. Let's reboot it. Let's do whatever. I mean, what are your thoughts? Are you excited for it? Do you think it needs a reboot? Is it just a way to try and get some more mainstream attention by rebooting it instead of making part six? I don't know. Seven or whatever it is. Seven. (laughs) (laughs) seven. (laughs) That's impressive. Just round of applause for that.
4: For, you know, if you're listening and you don't know, um, the writer of the original, Alan B. McElroy, he wrote this new reboot. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's scheduled to premiere in theaters for one night only on January 26th, 2021. Uh, uh, Tickets will be available at Fathom Events and whatever starting January 8th. Um, So yeah, and if you want to see the trailer, it's obviously it's on Bloody Disgusting, which it's kind of a, a trailer that doesn't give you too much. Um, I don't really know what to make of it except that it looks like it's more folk horror y, which is an interesting choice. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of open. I I haven't revisited the original since probably the t- early two thousands, so I probably do need to revisit it. Um so mm. I don't I don't think I have a full on investment or attachment to this um franchise to really have super strong feelings one way or the other. It's mostly like, I'm open, I'll check it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Was the original with Eliza dushku Yeah. Yes. That's what was okay. Thanks. I
1: don't well,
0: know how about you, Megan, what do you think? Or Zena?
1: Well, I really like the series. Um I think that it's fun. It's it's a little bit silly, but truth be told, I really, really love the first one, but I don't remember after part three. Yeah. But seeing mm-hmm. uh the trailer for the seventh one or the, the reboot one I'm excited because it seems like they're going back to their original roots where you can see that there's actually going to be like the, they always had the gore, but more of like the booby type of traps and everything yeah. going on. Okay. So, so they kind of diverted
0: they, away from that.
1: Right. They did. They did to hmm. me. And it was just like, sometimes it was just a little bit much Um, in some of the other ones where it's just like, okay, at this point, you guys are just catfishing us or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Certain things. laughs> But um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm uh, kind of like you, Megan. I'm open to it. Um, It looks like it's going to be fun. So why not? And honestly, I think that because the like the first one, I know like a lot of people who really love the first one. I'm a mm-hmm. fan of the first one. I feel like it's, I think it's a good thing. Sorry, I think it's a good thing that they're rebooting it because we need that because it, we kind of just got lost in the sauce and everything. So, mm-hmm. and then have you noticed with those, um, those mountain men, it's just like there's so many of them. I feel like every single time I watch one of the movies, there's a new one. Like, who is that? Like, how many <laughs> grandmas? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being ridiculous, but all
4: right. I'll yeah, stop. for guys who don't,
0: it. for guys who aren't looking too good, they sure are making a lot of them.
4: Well, because they're inbred. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, but I, but they're still making them into their 20s and they're really strong and fast.
4: Yeah, well, you know,
1: are arrows and stuff and sticks and axes and. Like just
4: stay out of the woods. Yeah, don't go into the woods.
0: I agree because it is it is one of the more campier premises. Mm-hmm. Like it's not there's nothing deep about it. It's they're talking about re- like inbred redneck hillbillies in the Appalachians. Like okay, like yeah. it's nothing more than that. Like it's literally it, it's.
4: It's like new coat of paint on a slasher film.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just it's kind of campiness. It's just now they're just kind of adding more gore into the mix and no, yeah. I, yeah. I'm curious to see what they come up with, and, you know, if they start streaming all the all the sequels, I'd be more than happy to check them out. Same. Speaking of which, welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone, the podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as the lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting horror movie fanatic and journalist, Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan.
4: Happy holidays.
0: You know her from her YouTube channel and website, Real Queen of Horror, and for infinite love for the genre, Zena Dixon. Hey, Zena. And I'm John, and yeah, I forgot that when people listen to this, it'll be the day before Christmas, day before Christmas, Eve. Christmas Eve Eve. You know, I have Christmas Eve, Eve I have kids. I should know these things because they <laughs> won't stop talking about it.
4: Oh. Anyway, <laughs>
0: if you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, Merry Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, we hope your week has been filled with all the best kinds of horror. If not, we're going to do a quick round the table for all the movies, books, games, anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. So, Zeno, what's been filling your heart this week?
1: Well, first, Merry Christmas. I'm sorry. I was just in a zone. That's a, hey,
0: do you. I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm People so mad.
4: No. <laughs> okay, so Cancel first... culture.
0: You're out. <laughs> no. We had a good run.
4: <laughs> I got your back, Zena. I got your back.
1: Thank you, Megan. So, the first thing I checked out, Calabos. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. So, Calabos, okay? On Midnight Pulp from 1999, a group of 20 somethings take a part in a reality based documentary where their every move is filmed, but soon find themselves the target of a killer on camera. So, this is an extremely <laughs> low budget horror movie that I feel like is kind of like stuck in the shadows of Scream in the Blair Witch Project because it was literally literally released two months before the Blair Witch Project came out. And crazy thing is, I never heard of this movie until... Well, this is like my second time watching it. So the first time I watched it was back in like 2017. But as a kid, I remember being in video stores and I've, I've never seen it before. I've never heard of it before at all. I've never seen the poster. So I was really excited to check it out. And in some ways, I feel... I kind of feel like this one, which I'm going to explain why, I feel like it may be a little bit ahead of its time because if it was released maybe like the early 2000s when we were, when it was like around that torture type of era, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe people would have appreciated it more. And um, I'm just going to say it, this movie, it is dated. It is dated a lot I mean it was released in 1999 so it's cheesy um there are those you know stereotypical characters that we've seen before you have that bubbly dumb girl who's just like okay you know that that does not sound smart um and then you have the perverted comedian guy and it's just like but he's not really funny so no one's laughing and then you have (laughs) you have the sensitive let pompous intellectual guy who just feels the need to, to flex how smart he is and then you have the girl who's like super conceited and then of course we have to have that you know shy mysterious girl who has a secret it's like we already know you know <laughs> um, I really appreciate the way this film blends like old with new it comes off like it's going to be like a 90s type of slasher movie mm. but there's like a 70s Italian horror tone to it plus it totally kind of like steals like the theme song to, to like to Suspiria in some way it, it ah, sounds just like it yeah interesting. I mean I, I like it I was bopping my head but still you know <laughs> um and plus there is like this anonymous anonymous like um torture loving killer and they're wearing these black gloves and we don't know who it is and um yeah and it's taking people out one by one but what's fun about it is this house that they're in it has like traps around you know and I kind of feel like this is kind of like a mix between, I mentioned Saul, but it's kind of like Saul, but it's also kind of like Big Brother slash the real world, you know? Yeah. Except it has like those traps and stuff. And um, you would think though, since they are in a house and it's like reality TV, that the house is going to be all decked out or it's like, oh, you're in paradise. It kind of reminds me of like someone's grandparents' house that was dedicated (laughs) That was like that was updated and, and decorated back in the, like the mid 70s. I mean, that's fine because I remember I used to have like a really great time at my grandparents' house. i like slept really great there. So, but anyway, the point is um you guys made me lose my track of thought cuz I'm thinking about those good naps that I used to have. Oh, we we, we that? caused Sorry.
0: that.
1: <laughs> no, but, I apologize
0: for bringing up napping. <laughs>
1: But the point is, um, yeah, this this movie, it isn't perfect. There are a lot of like plot holes and um, yeah, there's like a psychological element. It is a lot. You'll probably have no idea what's going on, but that's kind of why I like it. I like that everything's over the top. And um, yeah, if you are interested in 90s type of movies, I recommend giving it a go. Just know what you're getting yourself into
0: so I remember I remember liking this one reasonably well like not high art not necessarily like oh god I gotta watch this one again right but I also remember thinking like and I suppose this is in hindsight it was kind of ahead of its time because it's one of the first horror movies I can ever I can think of at all that really started playing on that reality tv show aspect it was before halloween resurrection yeah yeah. like it was before mtv fear Mm -hmm. um like it kind of made me think there's this really great documentary that isn't horror on uh this guy named Josh Harris, who's a computer software designer. It's mm-hmm. called we it's a documentary it's called We Live in Public. And it's he's basically he's one of those minds who like he made millions and millions and millions in the dot coms. Like he was just he was ahead of the curve in everything and he mm-hmm. got out when he needed to, everything. But he kind of predicted this concept of in the future, everyone's going to have 15 minutes of fame, but it's not just that. It's going to be on film. Mm-hmm. And he was like the first person. He decked out his entire house in cameras or his, his condo or penthouse in cameras and decided he was going to start filming himself on like QuickTime players 24 hours a day. Wow. So he was like total immersion in people. And it just it made me kind of think about that, like that head of the curve aspect of it. it we really were going this way. Mm-hmm. They might not have thought it. They were told they they might have been retreading real world. like, oh, how can we do a horror version of the real world? Yeah, but at the same time, like it's kind of cool in hindsight seeing like, oh no, that that's the direction we were going. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that it gets bonus points for that,
2: yeah,
1: I agree. Very fun movie. So other thing that I watched, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night on Amazon from nineteen eighty four. We all know this movie. Uh, Little Billy witnessed his parents getting killed by Santa after being warned by his senile grandpa that Santa punishes people who are naughty. And, you know, when he's 18, he just, you know, he's out of the orphanage and then he goes ham and starts killing people. It's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's a it's it has the style of every 80s horror. Um, There's like the axe, you know, with the vibrant blood. And I don't know. I I feel like it's it's a classic. It's a cult classic to me. And on top of that, I've been saying the word naughty since the end of October, just randomly yelling it out. (laughs) You you never know when you're going to get that. And I will continue. Keep getting calls from HR. I will continue to do it until January first, 2021. You are welcome to join me.
4: For, right. everybody's got to catch up this final week. They got to just start yelling naughty every, just, every other seven. We
1: sentence. have to, we have to. Okay. What about you, Megan? What did you watch?
4: I watched scare me. Um, it's currently on mm-hmm. shutter or just released on digital. Uh, bloody disgusting hosted a live tweet. So that's why I watched it. Um, for plot it's during a power outage, two strangers tell each other scary stories. They're one's an aspiring author. The other is a successful author. Um, But the more Fred and Fanny commit to their tales, the more these stories come to life. Um, The horrors of reality manifest when Fred confronts his ultimate fear. So this is a very simple, straightforward... Well, I don't want to say it's straightforward. But it's a very simple story that I think expectations might be key going in. It's like this very winter set, because they're in the Catskills... And it's snowy and the power goes out. So they're telling each other's stories. They're trying to one up each other and scare each other um, by the fireside. And so if you're expecting these stories to kind of come to life in in a traditional anthology sort of way, they, they don't. Um, but they, you know. Pretty
0: ingenious way. Yeah. It is yeah. a
4: very ingenious way. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think, like, the, your expectations of, of, of something mm-hmm. will will mm-hmm. affect it. But I, I actually. Yeah, there's no
0: cutaways. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I love this. And I think it hinges on their performances. You know, Josh Rubin, this, he wrote, directed, and stars in this as Fred. And he's, his facial expressions are amazing. He's uh, he the best. He is. Yes. He's great. And uh, Aya Cash, I mean, she's fantastic uh yes but you know doing a live tweet i don't really recommend doing a live tweet of of a movie like when you have not experienced a movie but if you've seen it Mm -hmm. i highly recommend it especially you know for this one not to toot our own horn there but there's a lot of key (laughs) insights that you get from this you know josh rubin was i think he did two nights in a row one with bloody and then one you know on his own and He's corralling in people that were working on the film, and you get like a lot of a lot more insight. You know, the first time I watched it, it was like this movie that's that I connect with because I am a writer and he's an aspiring writer, and Fanny's a very successful writer. And then just the the nature of storytelling is engrossing. But then, you know, the more you watch it, the more you're noticing like Fred's a little bit uh of a not so nice guy. Um mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned in this live tweet is there's an Easter egg in the curtains. Like if you're looking, there's like shadow Easter egg right when Fanny starts talking about, like she's telling her grandpa poison story. So keep your eyes peeled mm-hmm. for that. Um But huh. yeah, I just, I'm a sucker for like subtext and subtle details that you learn more of as you go. So I love this mm-hmm. story. And then switching. Cool. Key... And
0: yeah, Josh Rubens is great. If you haven't seen him in college humor skits, he's yeah
2: hilarious. He
1: is very he is, funny. Um, i kind of wanted to talk about that what was the i don't remember the song but they have like a a oh
4: yeah (laughs) the big
1: the big number that's the best but that's all
4: it is yeah i like all weekend since i've been chanting hell hell like the background singing yeah so you know i'm uttering hell and xena's saying naughty so we got to find you a one-word catchphrase for the week john (laughs)
0: Perfect. I appreciate that. Naughty hell. Got
4: it. <laughs> no, you can find a totally different one. I'm just saying we got one word, one word. We we have to find your word before the we episode is word. through.
0: I'll work on it. We'll,
4: we'll 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 figure it out. We'll work through this. Um and then the second movie I watched this week was Grave Robbers, which was on Blu-ray, part of my Vinegar Syndrome uh haul that I got. Uh was released in 1989 plot sees uh, teenagers accidentally resurrect a satanic killer who targets the local police captain's daughter to birth the Antichrist. Um, Yeah. So this, I don't know if you remember me talking a few episodes back about Cemetery of Terror. Mm -hmm. It's the same director, Ruben Galindo Jr., which meant that, you know, when, when the sale happened for Vinegar Syndrome, I snatched up that this movie and his other movie, Don't Panic, which was what Xena recently talked about. So those are his mm-hmm. three horror movies. I am a big Ruben Galindo Jr. fan, even though he's only done the three horror movies in the 80s. All in his twenties. Come so back. He should come back. Um because Cemetery of Terror was when he was 23. And so um. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. And then Don't Panic, Zena's favorite, was when he was twenty-six. <laughs> And then this one in 1989 was his last one, so 27. So, yeah. Uh, And hes I watched um, Don't Panic today right before. So even though I'm talking about grave robbers, I did want to touch on Zena's movie because this cracked me up. (laughs) So I did love the dinosaur pajamas that Zena mentioned. (laughs) And I did tweet her before that 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 was not his idea that was the actor's idea to have dino pajamas but the thing the reason I bring this up in the first place is because he talked about how he doesn't really like his horror too serious he likes there to be some kind of element of of like fantasy to them um Mm -hmm. which is why you have these super fun movies so I think grave robbers is probably the more serious one of his three and I think that one takes a little bit to get going you know it opens with this old um cavernous like I don't know what it is like a catacombs where he's this guy is performing a ritual and then he gets stopped at the last minute before he births or sires the antichrist and uh, they bury an axe in this guy's chest and, and it's like if it ever is removed you'll come back from the grave and then guess what that's exactly what happens with teens who randomly <laughs> decide to grave rob so moral of the story don't grave rob um, but once he does come back to life it kind of takes a while for that stuff to get going. I think the body count is probably the highest of his three movies, but it's also his most serious. So it depends mm. on what flavor you're you're going for. I, I still think Cemetery of Terror is my favorite of the three, and then I don't know how I'm ranking the other two, but they're all pre- pretty fun. So, yeah. That's nice. what I watched.
1: To check that one out. What about you, John?
0: I... As a not Christmas-themed horror movie guy, it didn't even occur to me to watch anything Christmas-themed. If I did, it would have been Scrooged anyway. (laughs) But instead, I decided to put some comedy in my horror, and I started out with 2004's Shaun of the Dead on HBO. Only the second time I've seen this, actually. Uh, The first time I watched it, I wasn't—I thought it was good, but I just didn't—I don't know why. For whatever reason, it didn't click with me. It took a little while, but anyway— a man's uneventful life is disrupted by the zombie apocalypse. That's it. That's all IMDb had for me. And it's pretty, it sums it up pretty well. Uh Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and are so good. Edgar Wright directing this. If, you know, like if you've seen Baby Driver, you can totally see the roots of Baby Driver mm-hmm. in this, like his ability to use the soundtrack and like long tracking shots and follow shots and everything else. But, the combination of the comedy and the performances and the writing, it's, you know, like, it, Shaun of the Dead shows up on so many top zombie movie lists and top horror movie lists, despite the fact that it is so comedic. It's flat out it comedy, really yeah. Yeah, yeah. with with the exception of maybe Act 3, like, where you actually do get, like, uh, him, Sean having to face like where he actually is in life and like everything else. And then there's some actual sadness that does happen because there has to be some Mm -hmm. totally understandable. Um, It's just, it's so good. Like beginning to end, like there, like every performance on the screen is just, it's almost captivating almost to the point where it's like, I didn't want to like check my, like normally check my email or something while I'm watching something or, or write something. But it's like, I just want to watch it. Like all the performances are just so, I, I mean, and I love British movies anyway, especially like British crime movies. I love, you know, just that good, that delivery, um, that dry British humor and everything else is just top to bottom. HBO, check it out if you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead. And then I, so then I had to follow it up in my mind with 2010's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I love this one It's available so on much. Tubi. Affable hillbillies, Tucker and Dale are on a vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they're mistaken for murderers by a group of preppy college students. This is this movie is brilliant. Yeah. This was such a good idea to turn the concept. Speaking of wrong of, turn. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Taking the concept of, well, the hillbillies are the bad guys and turning it on their head. It is so Unbelievably funny <laughs> when they are just trying to cope with the college kids college who evidently kid. <laughs> who evidently have a suicide pact or something <laughs> going on.
2: It's so quotable they, too.
0: Oh, it's so good. Like so many of the lines are just like almost like just cry laughing. Yeah. And not only that, but like the performances. One of the things that I noticed with Tucker and Dale. They actually have a really good friendship and relationship. Mm -hmm. Like they're actually both really supportive of each other. Yeah. Like even when stuff kind of sucks, like it's not like toxic at any point. Like they're like, yeah, no, I'm I'm there for you. I got you. It's the sweetest. Like they're just trying to help. They're trying to help each other out. Romance and horror. Absolutely. And Dale is by far like the sweetest protagonist (laughs) of all time. Like, I don't think there's ever been a protagonist in horror that you're, like, you want good things to happen for even more. Right. Like, it's just, it's so, it's such a good movie. Like, and like I said, like, I love comedy and horror in the first place. And, like, Alan Tudyk is hilarious because he always is anyway. Mm -hmm. But, and I I can't remember the... the, Tyler The Dale actor's name. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's... I was gonna look him up to see what else he's in because, but I know it's not gonna be the same because he's not gonna be Dale, and I'll be disappointed. He won't be Dale,
4: but I think I mean I haven't really watched it, um, but I know people that love it. There was a show called what is it? Reaper. It was. It was. Oh, I haven't seen Reaper. With, like no, that Ray was on, like, Weiss the is WB, the devil, wasn't it? and it was a comedy. And oh and, yeah, and he was one of the main characters. So obviously he's he's oh, got a knack for comedy. I always thought that their like their face. What's that? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, because I was just
1: staring. Oh, no, I was just saying with their, you know, Tuck and Dale, their face, like their faces would always just make me laugh. Like their reaction, reaction, mm. especially when they're like driving up past like the kids. Oh, yeah. No. Like, well, then why are you looking at them like that? I don't know.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, and, and like, and like when the cop pulls them over and like all of a sudden, like Dale, like the kind of the low hanging fruit, oh, yeah. like looks at, oh, what were you boys doing sort of thing? But. It's more when he pulls back and his shirt has torn off and just trying to look casual in the passenger <laughs> side was so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the least casual and yet somehow most casual look that he could have done. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I was uh, I was looking for something to watch today and I finally decided that I needed to dig in and start watching uh, Truth Seekers. Uh, because I'd already been watching Shaun of the Dead, so why shouldn't I dig into de- 2020's truth, see- truth Seekers series on Amazon? A team of part-time paranormal investigators use homemade gizmos that track the supernatural, sharing their adventures online. As their haunted stakeouts become more terrifying, they begin to uncover an unimaginable apocalyptic conspiracy. All right, I'm not that far.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm only on episode four. Okay. Um, But I I... I love this one too. Like n- Nick Frost in this is perfect. <laughs> it, it's a really great character because he's n- he's not bungling, despite the fact that he very well could be. Like that character, he's not it, like he's almost unflappable. Like he's so like it's a comedy. He's confident. He's really good at his job in the first place. The supporting character of Elton John, not Elton John, but that's part of the joke, is also just mm-hmm. hilarious as the straight man who doesn't want to be there on top of things. It's a it's a really great mix of, uh, like sincere eeriness, with just some really oh. great comedy, huh. and uh, and of course it, it really helps to have um, oh god, not Terrence um, I'm trying to think who, who plays Nick Frost's dad. Um, oh my god, it's Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, thank you. I kept wanting to say Terrence Stamp for some reason. Yes, Malcolm McDowell. Um, he's would he's great in it too. He's just surly and upset through like the entire thing. He becomes an internet sensation for a ridiculous thing. It's <laughs> no, it's a really if you're looking for a show, especially if you're looking for something a little bit more comedic. Um, True Seekers, it's on Amazon anyway. Definitely recommend. I can't wait to watch the rest of the season. It's really good.
3: Nice. Nice.
0: All right. Enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan?
4: Nothing. No, lots of stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> you thought because it was Christmas week, nothing would be going on, but stuff's going on. <laughs> uh, so Netflix is adapting novel, the novel Brand New Cherry Flavor in series form. That that title is crazy. I don't I have no familiarity with this book, but that title alone is is insane to me. Um <laughs> Hannah Levian, Leland Orser, and Patrick Fischler are set to for recurring roles opposite Alita Battle Angels Rosa Salazar on brand new cherry flavor. I'm gonna repeat this to see if I can wrap my head around that title um it's netflix's upcoming horror thriller revenge series so in addition to salazar they join previously announced cast catherine keener eric Lange, jeff ward and manny jacinto manny jacinto is he's he's in the good place right or was in the good place before that ended i i think so yeah I, i loved him in it catherine keener is amazing so the cast alone is very um, impressive, or shaping up to be impressive, um, but it's written by Nick and Channel Zero's Nick and and Lenore Zion from Channel Zero. Based mm-hmm. on the cult horror novel by Todd Grimson, the eight-episode series is the story of Lisa, played by Salazar, an aspiring film director in the sun-drenched but seamy world of 1990 Los Angeles, who embarks on a mind-altering journey of supernatural revenge. So mind-altering journey definitely connects with me with the brand new cherry flavor title i don't know if you guys have (laughs) any thoughts um i
0: I haven't heard of this so i just looked it up mm -hmm. i mean he's the books on amazon it's only got 14 ratings yeah and it's and it's got three stars and sorry i don't say that to Besmirched the book by any means. Like, that's not the point. It's more the idea that they're adapting an eight episode series off of a book that it literally says it's ranked a millionth on Amazon. Like, that's so somebody found it and obviously fell in love with it and realized Mm -hmm. that there was a possibility to adapt it, or he created a screenplayer spec script based off of his property and shopped it around. But good on him. Holy crap. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds interesting. And I think, and it looks like so if, I'll, I'll steal the moment and explain in the world of hollywood's panderers philanderers has and psychophants, aspiring screenwriter and director lisa nova considers herself a rising star who can just transcend the lies cheating and hypocrisy for the sake of her art so okay i get that too like because i know hollywood definitely I, i've definitely seen that trend that hollywood is kind of likes buying into that sort of a story like mm-hmm. maybe it's people within the industry mm-hmm. like it's like oh i get that like like I get that angle, yeah, we could totally play with that because like that that happened to me or something like that. Like it maybe becomes more relatable to the people who are making those decisions in the first place. Um, but I don't know. Regardless, again, good on them for getting a Netflix deal off that. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> it and makes
0: me just a little bit jealous.
1: <laughs> and this book, I believe, is is pretty old. Like it was published back in the nineties. I remember reading it early two 2000- thousand. I mean, I probably oh, you did read it, but. Yes, it Dang. is very, it's pretty dark. There's some occult stuff going on. Oh, it's it your jam. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that honestly, it, it would make a pretty good series. So is it
4: mind altering? Are we expecting some kind of? Um, no, but no, no, but that might be
1: <laughs> at least at least for me. No, but um, I could definitely see it as a series.
4: We, we do know by now that we we shouldn't expect a complete, faithful adaptation of a book because it's not really possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do love the stuff that Nick and Tosca does. I love the Channel Zero series. So if we can merge that kind of aesthetic with like a Netflix show, then yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm on board for that. Uh, Coming Thursday, February 11th on CBS and CBS All Access is the premiere of Clarice, a new series set one year after The Silence of the Lambs. So it's supposed to be a deep dive into the untold personal story of Clarice Starling as she returns to the field to pursue serial murders and sexual predators while navigating the high stakes political world of Washington, D.C. Rebecca Breeds uh, believe she's in Pretty Little Liars or was in Pretty Little Liars. She stars as Clarice. So that in itself is an interesting series to discuss. Um, But they recently announced that you should not expect to see Hannibal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clarice, the series, cannot show or even mention Hannibal Lecter by name because of rights. The rights issues is a very Mm -hmm. complicated thing to navigate, which uh, executive producer of the series, Alex Kurtman, says has actually been freeing. Quote, I'm still trying to understand how the rights are divided, but it's been quite liberating because we have no interest in writing about Hannibal. Not because we didn't love the films or the show, but because it was done so well by so many people that it didn't feel fresh for us. So, I mean, it's not that long ago, obviously that Hannibal, the series kind of was Mm -hmm. canceled and people still are clamoring for that. That I think that right off the bat, if you take away Hannibal and you have like, what, what could Clarice have? Um, so I think that the show kind of starts out at a disadvantage. But I'm really curious because, you know, I don't think people were super well versed on Will Graham unless you were familiar with either Manhunter or the book series, you know. And if you can do that same type of scenario where it's like this push and pull between, you know, serial killers and, and the crazies that are not the crazies, the, the people trying to crazy the profilers trying to, to catch them. They are the crazies.
0: Yeah. But Will Graham had Hannibal.
4: Yeah, but I'm saying like there there could be a lot more interesting characters besides just Hannibal. Like right, I I didn't read right. past Silence of the Lambs. Like you know I'm I'm assuming that there's there's other equally interesting characters out there.
3: Hmm.
4: She's like nope.
0: It doesn't really surprise me. It's CBS. It sounds like they wanted to make another pro- police procedural about an FBI agent, and they're like, okay, let's have a female FBI agent. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, should we just create a new one? Well, how about if we use Clarice from Silence of the Lambs? Well, we can't use Hannibal. Like, okay, yeah. Like, well, what was it between Silence of the Lambs and uh, the Han- Hannibal movie? They had to switch her name because of rights,
4: right? So it's... Like,
0: so it's like that. Was, that in itself was just mind boggling. Like, wait a second, yeah. you you changed her name, but not just the actress, but her name. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so yeah, all, it's confusing. I'm...
1: I'm all for the series. You know, I think that it's cool that they want to, you know, tell Clarice's untold personal story, show how brave she is, how strong she is. But um, <laughs> I just hope that it doesn't get canceled then after one season. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you if you want us to, like, be invested, yes. like, at least give us, like, two seasons,
4: three seasons. Like, just give us a proper ending, please. That, and that's the thing that yeah, – thank you for saying that because, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about – You know, not just this week's news, but a lot of the news in recent weeks about how a lot of it has been TV, which Mm -hmm. is a very interesting thing for me because I feel like it's a lot harder to commit to TV series, not just because of they require more time. You want to get into a series, it's going to be a minimum of, I mean, average about 13 episodes, Mm -hmm. maybe longer depending on whether it's network versus subscription or streaming. Right. Um, and then it's not even guaranteed that you're going to get it finished because there's so mm-hmm. much content out there that so much of it gets canceled. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, like yeah, the, you're not
0: even guaranteed to go past episode three.
4: That's true. You know, yeah. Like I adore The Exorcist. I think people slept on The Exorcist. Um, that only got two seasons. It had one long recurring plot line and some major loose dangling threads that I would have liked to see resolved, but it was essentially set up to be like an anthology. You know, the first season had one storyline, and then the second season was completely separate main storyline that was very J-horror inspired. And what I feel like there was another show Xena was upset about that was canceled recently. So we have all of these shows, all of this news coming out lately about (laughs) shows and new reboots and all of this. And it's like I'm excited and I'm open, but I'm also mm-hmm. very reined in on the expectations because, like you right. said, it's it's really hard to get super amped up for something that you know we may never see a conclusion. Which is, I also, I guess, in a way, why I don't mind it being, in some cases, properties that we're familiar with because at least if it does get canceled, well, I can imagine how that'll wind up anyway. I don't know. And yeah. it makes. It's her.
0: Oh,
1: sorry. It makes me wonder then why not, not just for, for this and not saying that it shouldn't be a series, I'm open to a series, but then why not just like a made-for-TV movie then? like, I know that sounds like cheap and stuff, but yeah. at least we'll get like a wrap-up. That's just my biggest thing. Or limited because series. That could be awesome as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean who knows when it comes to money and it comes to studio executives making these decisions. I mean... It's a lot harder for me to get interested in CBS or NBC or ABC coming out with a series mm-hmm. because they get canceled.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like
0: the ratings aren't high enough. Something happens. The star, someone who's involved in it turns out to be nuts. So they have to cancel <laughs> it or recast it or, <laughs> you know, whatever. And so, like, there's just, there's no guarantee versus if you look at something like Showtime or HBO or Netflix or whatever, at least we know we're going to get a full season. Right. Right. You know, like this way, it's like you're trying to commit week by week. And I think that people are starting to feel that, too. So it's even harder for these TV series to survive because people are waiting to see if there's even a season two. Yeah. Why should I commit to season one if you're going to get rid of it right away? Absolutely. So it it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy that these shows that we want, like, can't survive because we don't think they're going to (laughs) survive.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's definitely the snake fingers crossed on clarice though yeah who knows i mean you know and it's even harder to speculate when you don't really have i imagine there's got to be something coming out soon because if this is set for premiere in february then it's only a matter of time before you start seeing some marketing so but until then who Mm -hmm. knows and speaking of more television Crispin Glover, who recently starred in The Smiley Face Killers, as well as Friday the 13th Final Chapter and Willard, has been set as a series regular for what's being described as a psychological thriller, which is Zeno's Jam. The series follows (laughs) eight strangers who arrive at an isolated house, all for different reasons. Upon their mysterious and coincidental arrival, the strangers realize that something sinister and terrifying awaits them. Glover will pay play Jonah, a bad man who arrives at the mysterious house in the center of the thriller for money. Uh, it's written by Sarah Gran, who did the Southland TV series and is directed by David Slade. I like David Slade. He oh, cool. did yeah. Hard Candy, uh, I'm pretty sure 30 Days of Night. He definitely did a bunch of Hannibal episodes. Mm-hmm. The cast also includes Kiersey Clemens, Love Her, and Susan Sarandon. Wow. So, mm. you know, and it's this is for HBO's Max. HBO Max. Awesome. So, we could expect, you know, kind of a no holds barred when it comes to lots of things that would normally upset some censors. Um and yeah, I I like the cast. I like psychological thrillers. Um so yeah, I'm in. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on psychological thrillers in TV form. I'm in. I'm
0: yeah, I'm more curious just because Crispin Glover's involved because he makes really specific and interesting choices yes yes he does L- like a will like the willard remake eh, for anybody who watched willard in the first place or the remake of willard like that was like wait the guy from back to the future is in willard like what the hell is going on and then like charlie's angels He is a
2: quirky and the fact guy. that
0: he basically changed his role in charlie's angels i don't know if you guys heard the story that because he plays like the what's he called like the quiet man or, the yeah. or something like that yeah well, he had lines in those movies. But he's he like, hated nope. the lines so much. He convinced the director. He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say any of that. He basically, <laughs> he basically said what, uh, what Harrison Ford said during Star Wars, except he lived up to. It. He's like, I'm not saying these lines. <laughs> I'll just play it silent. <laughs> it's like okay. So he's, he's interesting enough for me to be like, this could, especially on HBO Max. Yeah, that could be a really interesting platform for him.
4: For sure. And what what draws him to begin with? Because, you know, I think he's clearly making choices based on what he finds interesting. So what about Mm -hmm. this was interesting for him to sign up for? I don't know. I'm curious, though. Him
0: and Susan
4: Sarandon. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. But I mean, Slade. Yeah. And David Slade. Um, But to be honest, you know, you you tell me there's a genre show on HBO Max and I'm probably already intrigued based on those two things alone. It's just everything else is is a nice added bonus. Like, that sounds interesting. That also sounds interesting. So, yeah. (laughs) And um, recently, you know... Monster Hunter released in theaters last week, and so obviously Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila Jovovich and I guess some of the cast, they've been doing the the press rounds. And so Paul W.S. Anderson was recently chatting with the Boo Crew on their one of their more, most recent episodes. Uh, and during that conversation, he reflected on directing Event Horizon. So longtime fans of this haunted house and space movie have been dying to see the long-lost footage that reportedly horrified test audiences in Paramount so badly that... A lot of that footage was removed, never to be seen again. So of all the most requested director's cuts, Event Horizon tends to be ranked near the top, you know, among horror fans anyways. So Anderson told the Boo Crew that bits and pieces of a lost cut of Event Horizon turn up, like on different VHS tapes, there will be bits of scenes that are slightly different from earlier cuts. But I think the truth is, when we delivered the first cut to Paramount, they were just horrified by the movie. It was much darker and scarier than they ever thought it was going to be. An executive actually said to me, we're the studio that makes Star Trek, as if somehow I was besmirching Star Trek as well. It wasn't bad enough that I'd made this horrible movie, so the movie ended up being trimmed a lot, which unfortunately was before DVD really popularized deleted scenes and things like that. So there was no incentive for studios to keep the material. Anderson added, I think bits and pieces might still be discovered, but I don't think there'll ever be a return to the original version unless there's something we can, const- uh, the- unless it's something we constructed now. Who knows? In the world of the Snyder cut of Justice League, maybe there's an Anderson cut of Event Horizon. All I need is a few million dollars and buckets of blood. <laughs> so, okay.
0: they got de-aging software now, they're good.
4: Well, I mean, um, I think a lot of the know, stuff that was cut is, you know, th- when they showed the snippets of of what happened to the previous crew, I think yeah, a lot of hell. that got trimmed. Yeah. But I'm sure there was other. Stuff. I think I
0: remember that. Yeah, it's what the what the previous crew did, and then like the images of what uh, everyone like the current crew going to hell, like where you just see like little snippets in the movie. I love uh, Event Horizon. Same. It's one of my. It, it's definitely a <laughs> a comfort, it's an watch? Odd comfort watch. No, it
4: me. is. It totally is. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Like I, I really enjoy it, like across the board. But and as much as I love the idea of the director's cut, just to see, like, what, what did they, what did they make him cut? Yeah. Like, what was it? I'm also really hesitant about that idea because sometimes, honestly, the thing that we get on screen it's actually the best is version. better. Yeah. You know, like, like the crow. I really like the crow. But if, if for anyone who watched like the curse series mm-hmm. on Shudder, yeah. they had to change a lot of the crow because of Brandon Lee's unfortunate like the unfortunate accent mm-hmm. where he pa- where he died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And them talking about like what those scenes would have been, like in my mind, it sounds like what was on uh, uh, actually on screen was better than what they had imagined because it was like more cuts and like more like imagery and things like that or I was telling my wife, like, I was watching Indiana Jones and the the Lost Ark last week or two weeks ago. And the scene where Harrison, or where Indiana Jones is about to have a sword fight, and the guy comes out of the crowd, he does all these sword moves, and Indiana Jones pulls out his gun and shoots him. And everyone cheers. That wasn't supposed to be in the movie. It was in, uh, Harrison Ford had like 102 yeah. fever that day. And he was so sick he could barely stand up. And he was supposed to do this really long sword fight. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? He's like, what are we... Let's shoot him, and that turns into like one of the one of the most like iconic moments in the movie. So sometimes what happens on screen mm-hmm. that we see as an audience really is better
2: mm-hmm.
0: or more enjoyable. True. So it's curious because I'm not a massive Paul W. S. Anderson fan, but I really like. Event I Horizon.
4: adore this movie, and I will say that at least in this particular case, I wouldn't mind somebody throwing a few million for. Not re- I guess, what would the word be? Like a restoration? Because the only thing about this movie that kind of bums me out is that, you know, it was made in, I think, 95. You know, so that, that visual effects. That CG
0: floating around. So a
4: lot of the visual <laughs> effects for for the the stuff that, you know, the, the eye thing and a lot of mm-hmm. just the general, like, haunted house effects do not hold up. When it's practical, that's mm-hmm. great. But a lot of it also doesn't. So if they can... You know, if somebody wants to throw money at it to clean that up, and you if you want to splice in some gore scenes, that's cool, too. But, you know, otherwise, yeah, I agree with you. I I adore this movie, and it's fine if this is the only thing we ever see. But I do like the what if, you know.
0: Yeah, the what if is fun, for sure. But I'm also not going to be overly bummed out about it.
4: I'm going to be so mad. No, I'm I'm (laughs) (laughs) good. All
0: right, listeners, it's your turn. Are you super bummed out that you can't see the lost footage of Event Horizon? You just you just can't get enough of novels that you may never have heard of getting adapted in a Netflix <laughs> series that we really hope are gonna be good, or properties in which you can only take one character and turn it into a TV series where there might only be four episodes. <laughs> Let's hear about it. Numbers two two four four seven five-one zero four zero. Numbers also in the show notes, and we'll play our favorite message or messages at the top of next week's episode. Please limit yourself to one question or comment per call. Finally, if you're anything like us and you spend all your time streaming movies on Cheddar Netflix, Am- Netflix, Amazon, and Bloody Disgusting TV, Zena's going to clue us in on what we should be watching. So, Zena, what should we be watching?
1: Bloody Disgusting TV. I'm to <laughs> do that <Yes>. first.
0: <laughs>
1: Check it out. And first, like on Tuesday the 22nd, The Craft Legacy will be available on DVD. Also... On Tuesday, Shortcut will be available on VOD. A mysterious creature terrorizes five teenage friends after their bus takes a Shortcut on a grim road in the wild.
4: I was going to make a cat noise. Sounds
0: like U-turn. Or wrong term.
4: <laughs> well now you're just teasing people. I was gonna make an awesome sound effect but nah yeah, it's too late. No the
1: moment has passed. <laughs> um, and then last which last what's coming out on Tuesday getaway will be available on VOD. Tamara Miller has planned a weekend lake getaway with her two best friends. When she gets kidnapped by a backwoods cult, airy and unexplained occurrences arrive. And just in case if you guys missed it, letters to Satan Claus, Satan Klaus will be avail- Will be stream well streaming. Will be airing on sci-fi again on Friday. Um, so on Christmas Day at noon and 8 p.m. So the movie revolves around Holly, who after returning to her hometown as a big city news reporter, faces off with the demon of her past following a simple typo made in her letter to Santa. It's a harmless mistake that summons Satan to kill her parents. So, yes, this could be you the next time you make a typo.
4: So be careful. Spell
0: go. check. Look for those little squiggly lines.
4: Spell check will not catch Satan or Santa.
0: Maybe not happen. in the stuff you write, Megan.
4: Well, what do you write where it's like, no, 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 you met Santa? Because I need that from I
0: intentionally remove it from my dictionary just to avoid these situations. All right, and that's Bloody Disgusting Podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at Haunted Meg. Xena can be found on her own site, Real Queen of Horror, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at lovely Xena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pod, or drop us an email at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. So for this week, I'm John.
4: I'm Megan. I'm Zena.
0: Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody.
4: Happy holidays.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get
2: it.